welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Sophie, registered nutritionist. And I'm Barry, registered dietitian. And you're listening to today's episode on food guilt. We're actually live on Instagram at the same time, which is really fun. Yeah, so it's the first time we've done this. We just thought we'd try it out. We thought it might be quite fun for you to see just us having the conversation. And you can actually see how unscripted it is as well. Yeah, because... literally nothing. <laughs> We decided on this topic, I think I put the poll on my Instagram a few days ago, um, and we literally have not even discussed it. So I've just come over to Barry's, and Oscar's here as well. You can hear him, like, snorting in the background. I know. Um, So yeah, we're just going to have a discussion about food guilt. Yeah. Um, It kind of, also, I feel like if people like this, then, like, maybe we'll start a YouTube channel. Oh my god, yeah. We've actually discussed potentially doing a YouTube channel. So please do give us feedback. Um, We're open to both, you know, positive and negative feedback. We just want to put out good content for you guys. Yeah, but not too negative. Like, be be nice. nice. (laughs) Um, That's our caveat. Okay, perfect. So let's talk about food guilt. Um, Interestingly, because I think... I I wish I had my phone. Actually, I have my computer here. Shall we go straight to the source? Sorry, that's Oscar scratching his leg. Shall we go straight to the source of Marion Webster and see what she has to say the definition of guilt is? Yeah. Because I think that's actually an interesting concept. Um, So according to the dictionary, guilt is the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime interesting um to then put it in the context of food guilt yeah so basically that means you commit a food crime Mm -hmm. which i think just inherently comes down to rules have you ever committed a food crime yeah like that's such a weird (laughs) thing like but i think the only way that you can feel guilty is if you set yourself rules and then defy them yeah i think as much as So it comes from your own kind of rules and restriction, Mm. but I think those rules have often been created by maybe environmental factors. Yeah, definitely. As in, you know, things that you've heard around food and diets, and you might read it in magazines, you might see it on social media, your friends might have conversations about it, and that, although you might not be thinking, okay, like that's a new rule, your brain might be kind of thinking, it might make you look at food in a different way. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe, like, external things that you've heard, like, oh, if I had this at, you know, I don't, I can't even explain it, but, like, if I had um, something for dinner and then, oh, I should have dessert as well or something, and you've committed that, like, offense in your mind where you divide, like, the norms set out by, like, society, mm-hmm. that can make you feel guilty. But I think if you get rid of all the food rules and restrictions, then there's no room to feel guilt. Yeah. It just is what it is. Does that make sense? But it's such a difficult thing to do, isn't it? To not have any rules around food. And we have done quite, well, two episodes on intuitive eating, so we won't go into that in too much depth now. But um, it's really difficult to not have rules. And even me, like, I don't know, I would say even like six months ago, it was kind of like an unwritten rule or a subconscious rule that I should only have chocolate after dinner. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know why. It just felt like that. that's, you know, it should be later in the day when I had chocolate. That's a really interesting point because then I think it's like, what's the difference between a habit and a rule? Yeah, true. Because if you do something on repetition so often, it becomes a habit. 
but then also subconsciously that's become a rule. So if you defy it, then you like feel guilt. Um, so I think also you have to, you have to redefine habits and rules. Mm. But it's like, I loved, well, I love chocolate. And if someone had offered me a chocolate in the day, I'd be like, I probably would have taken it, but I'd be like, oh, this isn't right. You need to save it for after dinner. Yeah, this doesn't feel right. And it's only when I started to do my kind of intuitive eating practitioner's course yeah. that I was like, oh, like, let me explore my own relationship here. Really interesting you brought this up, deviating for a bit. Do you think that you doing that course or learning more, like, helped decipher any, like, weird tendencies that you had that you might have been subconscious of? Because I think we all have them. Yeah, like, we'd be, I'd be sitting here and I would be completely lying if I said that, like, I didn't have, like, weird kind of internal rules. I think we all do, whether we recognize them or not, but I think it takes a lot of retrospect um, and to look within to actually identify them. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to constantly do the work. You have to constantly reflect Mm -hmm. to grow. So it's not something that you should be embarrassed of or, like, ashamed of. It's just... Well, we don't have perfect relationships with food. I I don't think anyone does. But, yeah, when... What was something that really resonated with me when I was studying was the kind of differentiation between physical hunger and emotional hunger Mm. and one of the kind of symptoms I guess um would be if it was emotional you'd be like wandering around your kitchen looking for food yeah we've spoken about that before haven't we and I used to do that all the time and I mean sometimes I still do it now and I but I know that it's because I'm like seeking some sort of comfort not it's not because I'm really hungry because if I was I'd probably know what I wanted I wouldn't be like wandering around my kitchen yeah so one of the ways that that also really resonated with me is like mouth hunger versus body hunger Mm. so like when you're physically hungry you feel it in your stomach but when I was like emotionally hungry I felt it in my mouth I know that feels really weird but I like remember when I used to take exams when I was younger in high school and or my SAT is um I remember I had to go in with a full pack of gum and I would just like chew I've an entire there. pack of gum I during would, yeah, my I would exams. go through like packs of chewing gum a day yeah because I was so just, stressed like, during my to, like chew yeah and then I was like oh I understand what mouth, mouth hunger is because yeah. I would literally go in with orbit bubble mint I don't know if anyone like knows what that is it was like sounds a hot, lovely it was delicious <laughs> it's still my favorite flavor of chewing gum is like <laughs> minty <laughs> bubble gum um and yeah I would be fucking disgusting like with like wrappers and stuff like on my desk like everyone probably really hated me but I was so anxious and it was just like I needed something to like take that stress out Mm. and that's like the actual definition of mouth hunger which is like emotional hunger versus like physical hunger that you like feel at the bottom of your belly Mm -hmm. um yeah so that's interesting that that's something you connected with when you did your course yeah so back to food guilt yeah, I think the only way I would honestly just write down your your thoughts or your patterns like so I have an example like last night Mark and I went out to dinner. We've like been out to dinner so much for this help out to eat out. I feel like we're really helping the Yeah, you, you, you do you. You eat out and help. Um and so we were out to dinner last night and we we know the owners at the restaurant um and they're absolutely lovely and we just went for just dinner and we didn't really want drinks um because you know it's during the week and like you guys know I drank last weekend (laughs) and so I normally just don't drink too often and um then the owners came over and they're like oh let us let's buy you like a round of drinks and I was just like 
really want this. And then it was like almost this like internal conflict of like, if I wanted it, I would have ordered it at the beginning of the night, but I really, really didn't want it because like uh, my body was just like, take a break from alcohol kind of thing. But then like we accepted because it's like the polite thing to do. And then like we drank it. It was absolutely delicious. It's my favorite um, watermelon mojito. And like, I loved it when I was drinking it, but I was like, and then I was like, I didn't feel guilty, but I was like, almost like, You've broken a rule or something. Yeah, it was like, oh, I'm not going to drink tonight. Yeah. And then I drank. And I didn't feel guilt, but it was like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think this is like a misconception with intuitive eating as well, because people will kind of, they really, um, like, hold on to the fact that, you know, you're supposed to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. And there is so much more to intuitive eating than that, so please do listen to our episodes on it. Um but it's like when you're at a friend's birthday and there's cake and they might argue, I really don't feel like cake. Mm. However, you're at a friend's birthday, like why not kind of thing. You yeah. might not want it, but you're probably going to enjoy it if you have it. Yeah. And you're allowed to have it. I guess that's a really like, yeah, I think that sometimes intuitive eating gets taken to an extreme and this is, you know, that's my issue with mm-hmm. intuitive yeah, eating yeah, yeah. is that it gets taken out of context and it's like, oh, well, my, I, I don't is... really, my body doesn't want it. So I, I'm not having it, but it's like allowing yourself to like yeah. be flexible and allowing yourself to, even though you don't really want it, you can read the situation. Sorry, we're like staring at Oscar. He's like, He's like absolutely snoring. passed out <laughs> snoring with his eyes open. Um, but you, you, you have that flexibility, um, even if you're not craving it i do think that there's a little bit of a lack of understanding though sometimes with intuitive eating yeah because intuitive eating does mean that you can you know be more flexible around your food choices and eat when you're not hungry as well and be okay with that yeah so i listened to a different podcast um a few days ago that was speaking about this and it's like intuitive eating is not the hunger fullness diet Mm. but i think so many people kind of see it that way yeah so, like, I can only eat when I'm hungry. I can only eat when yeah. I'm full. Well, no, actually, it's taking all those rules so that it, that inherently is a rule. Like, I can only eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full. Like, mm. that's a rule. And when you defy that, you feel guilty. Um, sorry, my mom just messaged. I wish I could stay on, but I got to go to work. Bye, mom. Bye, Fran. See you later. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think I think it's just the absence of rules. But once you have a rule and you listen to it and then you defy it, that's where the guilt comes in. Yeah. And something that I work a lot on with clients is food flexibility. Mm. Because a lot of the time, you know, a lot of us will have breakfast, lunch and dinner at certain times, mainly because we have schedules and, you know, we work around that. We're working in the day, you know, we have appointments, so it's just easier to schedule in meal times. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, you know, I might call Barry up and be like, well, let's go for dinner tonight if we live closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't do that I wish now it was that easy. hours drive. Um But, like, that should be, like, oh, great, cool, yeah, I'll grab my stuff and I'll meet you in an hour. Whereas for some people, that would be, like, I haven't planned for this. Yeah. I was supposed to be having dinner at my house tonight. I knew what I was going to cook. And that's really scary for some people. Yeah, it is. um, To let go of that control. Yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to. Or just, you know, you planned, maybe, I think in a disordered thinking, a lot of people would have planned, like, a smaller breakfast and lunch to maybe accommodate that meal out Mm -hmm. so they didn't feel guilty because again that rule would be to it would come down to quantity wouldn't it so like they went above their food quantity Mm -hmm. that they allowed themselves oh i'm so happy you guys can actually see our air quotes i know we're doing a lot of air quotes today (laughs) normally they're like behind the scene air quotes um but yeah i think allowing yourself to get rid of that rule and 
you know, eat the quantity in which you want to eat as opposed to the quantity that you think you should eat. Yeah. But I think it's also trying to look at the bigger picture because let's just take that example still. Like, one meal isn't going to result in weight gain. Yeah. It's actually not possible. Yeah. You might feel a bit bloated afterwards and maybe even the next morning, but that's not fat. You haven't gained weight. Um, So if you kind of can have that conversation with yourself and say, look, it's a one-off... It's not going to make a difference. Nothing bad's going to happen. You'll probably enjoy that meal a lot more than if you're constantly kind of bullying yourself, being like, I shouldn't be doing this. This is so frustrating. You know, it's really distressing. Yeah. And you've just ruined your meal out. Yeah. I just, I honestly can't stress enough. Like when you get rid of all the rules and really work, like do the actual work to improve your relationship with food, how much headspace it frees up mm-hmm. and how much you can actually enjoy life. Yeah. I say when you're this not to my clients thinking about calories. it. Yeah. Cause the amount of time some people spend on tracking their calories every day is so time consuming, but also like you could do so, like, there's so much good to be not. And it's, it's hard cause it's like, you're not doing a bad thing if you're doing yeah, that. Yeah. You're just, and we all have to come to that realization on our own and work through our own kind of process. But, like, I don't know. It's just, like, having that mental freedom to do anything and stuff. Like, you're not – there's no boundaries. You're not within your own confinement. And I just think it's super liberating feeling. And I just wish that everyone could, you know, has that opportunity to experience it. Yeah. And it takes a while to get there. And I think that's what puts some people off because it's actually impossible to go from having all these rules and feeling guilty around food and having those like frustrated, frustrated feelings to then like the next day being like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, it's not actually possible that there, there is a lot of work that needs to be done to get to that point. Yeah. But it is so worth the journey. And it's not going to be smooth sailing. Like, you're not just going to go up. Oh, my God. I great. hate when people think like you go from here to there yeah. just like that it actually looks it's, like here say, sometimes you like squiggle squiggly, back yeah you go back a few steps then you go again and then but that will discourage some people and they'll be like oh it's not working like it's not worth it i'm not going to do it yeah you have to just keep pushing and like like me and barry are still on journeys with like food totally. and like like barry said like we said in last week's episode um i think get confused um, <laughs> I'm all a blur. Yeah. we probably eat really differently now to when we did last year yeah totally because we're still finding sorry so kelly hi kelly hi, um kelly. kelly asked what what do you both think creates food guilt in people um so i think we touched on that like i don't know when you tuned in um i think it's just like rules the more rules mm. we create the more we break the rules and guilt so like we looked up the definition of guilt and it's like the act of like feeling bad about committing a crime and so i think it's so interesting when you apply that concept to food in the sense that your crime is your rule or defying your rule is your crime when in reality you're not going to get arrested for like eating a chocolate bar um but you will get arrested for like stealing that chocolate bar like i just think it's so weird how we've we've equated certain Mm -hmm. acts of like eating which is like something we have to do every single day to survive and we've made that into like a moral standpoint where if you defy that then you've committed a crime and that just comes down to treating food as a place of morality of right or wrong which there which I just think is it's really detrimental to your mindset to have that but so easy to get there but I think there's that barrier there as well that you know, you feel that guilt, say you've eaten more carbs than you think you should have done and you feel guilty. But it's like, when you ask yourself why you feel guilty, if you then push past that barrier, it's probably because 
one you either think you're going to gain weight or you think you're not going to be as healthy as you want to be if when you start to question it you might be like that's so silly yeah why have i put such huge like things on that one you know extra portion of carbs yeah exactly and it's like look at the end of the day if you did put on weight like that's there's nothing wrong with that does that make sense Mm -hmm. like it's not a bad thing like I think you know I think it's impossible to think you're going to stay in one body type or one weight for the rest of your life like I just think that's absolutely insane even reflecting back like I literally haven't grown since the age of like 12 (laughs) like I'm five feet tall I've been five feet tall since I'm 12 but my body has really shifted and so much has changed in my life. It would be ridiculous to think I'd be the same weight as I was when mm. I'm 12 years old, even though I'm the same kind of, essentially the same size. Yeah. But like your body is always evolving and changing and stuff like that. So I think you just have to let go of that number. Like if you gain weight, cool. Like make sure that you have like a balanced lifestyle and that's all that matters. You prioritize health, you mm-hmm. prioritize flexibility, you prioritize your sleep, your stress, and then like the weight is so secondary that that's not a defining factor of who you are. I think that's something I work on with clients as well, is because when those who do come to me and say, Oh look, I want to lose a little bit of weight and I'm like, Okay, you know, what was you know, what sort of goal have you got in mind? And they're like, oh, well, I was this weight when I was 24, so I'd really like to get back to that. And I'm like, that's pretty unrealistic. And then, you know, we talk about that further. Because how can you, you know, if you're 40, like Barry said, even if you haven't grown in height, your weight, of course, is going to change. You're not going to be the same weight as you were when you were 22. Your body has changed. Things like muscle mass changes Mm -hmm. and hormones. Sorry, Oscar scratching, and I feel like that must be very loud. Um hormones change body mass changes you know the shape of your body changes um you know things like wider hips and like Mm -hmm. when I was 12 years old I I looked like a child even though I'm the same height my body doesn't look childish anymore yeah because I'm 27 yeah god that sounds old um Uh, hello I'm 28 (laughs) it's only a year more but I think that sometimes you know we have this number that's really cemented in our brain but it's like also like think back like to when that number you were that number like were you living in rules and restrictions and Mm. was that a place that you were mentally happy about or were you struggling at that time to maintain that and those lifestyle factors that you had back then like are not realistic now like when I look back into my college years I had a very different body type because I had so much free time And I would, you know, exercise a bit more regularly and, but I was also like going out a bit more. So like, it was just like my body looked really different. That's not to say it looked better or worse, but Mm. that environment that I was in can't be replicated now. So I can't expect my body to look like that now. Yeah. I think when you bring numbers into like, not in my opinion, no good comes from using numbers, whether that be counting calories, tracking macros, um, you know weighing yourself every day I don't know like some people there may be some use for some of it you know I would advise if you are weighing yourself or you have some sort of weight loss goal for whatever reason I don't work with um clients on weight loss but I would advise you maybe measure um you know waist circumference as opposed to stepping on the scales every day particularly if you're working out or if you're in that kind of fitnessy world, um, you know, maybe you do find it beneficial to track your macros. But if it, like, honestly ask yourself, is it 
is it doing me any good? Yeah, like what happens if you don't like the yeah. number that you see? Exactly. Does it have... And it like, is it genuinely enhancing your well-being and happiness levels every day? Yeah, and look, I know people who can weigh themselves and just like they see it as a number, like it is what it is. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'll pull back a bit more or whatever, but it has no like negative impact on their mental yeah. state. Like it just is what it is. Like I think for... um a lot of men probably are a bit more practical about mm-hmm. it, um, where they just see the number and they're like, cool. Um, yeah, Ash can weigh himself and be, you know, six pounds heavier, you know, two weeks later or like, whatever oh, it is. And he's cool. like, oh, I've gained a little bit of weight or, oh, I've lost a little bit of weight. And he's so unaffected by that now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think, but also just don't put that expectation on yourself. Like, mm-hmm. if it does trigger you, like don't put yourself in that position because then you are going to feel guilty and you haven't committed a crime. (laughs) Yeah. I think trying to, you know, figure out ways in which you can lessen that Mm. guilt is really helpful. And that might entail, you know, or I don't know, what's a good example? You might have to push yourself a little bit and say, actually, I'm going to have a completely different dinner than I planned tonight and see how it feels. Let's see what the worst is that can happen. I'm sorry, ask her pardon. It smells. It, like, it's been throughout. It's unbearable. Oh, I don't think it's wafted this way that bad. <laughs> I was like, so many times I was looking at you and I was like, can she smell that? No. It's so horrendous. I thought he's, Bear was bad. Like, he's just sleeping. I can't even just... do. I was like, not going to bring it up on the podcast, but Barry's brought up, so. Oh, bless him. He's just sleeping. It happens. <laughs> um, I forgot where we were, what we were talking about, actually. Um, yeah, just like pushing yourself into that maybe mm. uncomfortable zone where, you know, let's see what the worst is that can happen. I remember when I used to suffer really, really badly with panic attacks and I used to panic about having a panic attack yeah. in public. And the therapist that I was working with at the time was like, well, so what if you have a panic attack in public? And I was like, actually, that's true. Like, okay, so a few strangers see me cry and, like, you know, breathe a bit more quicker and, like, look like I'm about to have a heart attack. But, um, you know, once I kind of got over that and was like, okay, that's the worst that can happen. It doesn't matter if people see me in that state. It actually lessened. Yeah. Because it was taking down a notch of the amount of panic that I was having around that situation. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, panic really happens when you, like, fear the unknown, and then mm-hmm. that the anxiety just builds, but... Yeah, and when you question the unknown and be like, okay, let me push myself there and just see how bad it actually is, Yeah, it's not as bad as you thought, maybe. Yeah, definitely. I think something we touched on before, but I think it's important to reiterate, is that I think you constantly have to check in with yourself. Yeah, you do. And it sounds so silly sometimes, and people are like, oh, and it might sound like a little bit hippie-ish. Yeah. But it's so valuable yeah because even though like we're on a path towards like a healthier relationship with food sometimes you get these thoughts and then you just like start to act not act on them I can't explain it but like like I was saying certain thoughts just become like habits like the chocolate after night and that wasn't like Mm -hmm. came out of a place of disorder it just came out of a place of like that's it's just something that you kept thinking yeah it's like habitual habitual yeah so I think that and it's in any journey like you constantly have to get feedback in every point of your life like whether it's you know in a job Mm -hmm. you know I like the way you do this maybe you could do more of that or in a relationship when you have a partner and it's just like um I think it's really nice when you do this or maybe you could do like it's a two-way street but sometimes you have to treat yourself like that as well because you can end up going down a path that's not beneficial and you need to check in and bring yourself back Mm -hmm. um yeah I just think like 
it sounds, yeah, it sounds a bit like hippie meta, but like you have to constantly check within. And if you're not happy and you do feel like you can improve, like why not try these things? Even if they do sound a little bit, oh, not something you would do, then like what's the worst that can happen if you try them? But I would recommend listening to our episode that we did with Dr. Tara, Mm. um, who is a neuroscientist that I think that episode is amazing. Yeah, and I love that episode as well. I actually just bought her book. I haven't started it yet. Yeah, I need, I need um, to read it as well. But I'm really excited about it. I have a long queue of <laughs> um, books. So I'm just going to go scroll through some of the questions. So someone wrote, what to do when you can't afford treatment and can't get any through the NHS? I know that's such a hard position to be in. Mm. Um, oh, I think this is one of the pitfalls of the NHS, isn't it? it it's a great system. I freaking yeah. love the NHS. Um, coming from America, I think that the care that you get here is, like, incredible. Um, but this is definitely a downfall. I think go back to your GP, see if there's any other ref- yeah. referrals, you know, get in contact with, like, beat, um um, there's always some people who might be at the place in their career they can do pro bono work, but no, that's not like everyone. Um, I think just maybe get some, there's a ton of charities and things that you yeah, can reach out and to. and there's, there's other resources, you know, there's really great kind of self-help books out there as well, but me and Barry did say be careful when you, you are choosing mm. self-help books because the language isn't always applicable to what you're going through. Um, Unfortunately, it does just mean you might need to take things into your own hands a bit more and work on yourself and be dedicated to working on yourself. And if you are determined to make a change, then keep pushing yourself. And I will say as well, take each day as it comes. Mm. Don't kind of think, oh my God, I've got this huge journey ahead of me. Like, how am I going to get through it? Just do small baby steps each day because you will get to the point where you kind of look back and it might have been like a month or a few months and you're like wow I've actually made some really great improvements and yeah. celebrate the small wins definitely get a journal maybe mm-hmm. um and start to journal those thoughts and feelings and then again um get in contact with your GP just get on that waiting list and just you know do the work and get the resources um talk to different charities and things like that that could be helpful um some other questions um some comments sorry I'm just scrolling um, I haven't grown either, Barry. <laughs> Thank you for, um, of oh, so many other oh, people saying they well. haven't grown since they were 12. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Maybe we just all hit puberty at the same time. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. But yeah, um, I kind of like that analogy, like picture back to the person, like, when did you stop growing? You're quite tall. Um, I think maybe when I was like 16. I yeah, but we were so different when we were 16. Like, you can't expect to have... Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's such a weird thing to have that, like, I want to go back to what I looked like when I was this age. Because it's like, you were a child. My, Why do you want to like, look like a child? Yeah. My body has changed a lot as well. Yeah. Like, and that's... I genuinely, like, I have I just stopped weighing myself a really long time ago now. Because it, it's like the weight distribution is different as well. Totally. So it's just so you can't justify wanting to be a certain weight because it will look different anyway. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. And mean, even if you are the same weight, it probably looks so different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. yeah. That's what I was trying to say. But like, you know, sometimes our boobs get bigger. Sometimes they get smaller, like depending on our hormones or like the yeah, time exactly. of the month. Um, but <laughs> this might be too much information, but like, have you ever like stood on the scales and like got someone else to hold your boobs? No. <laughs> what? I did it with my sister, by the way. It wasn't some, like, weird thing that I did with my boyfriend. But, like... <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But wouldn't that like affect the number because someone else I is don't putting know, pressure? But, like I remember someone said to me like you can see how much your boobs weigh by like having someone else like hold them, hold them up for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember what they weighed. It was probably like a few pounds or something. But that was fun. <laughs> it wasn't some weird thing I did with my boyfriend. <laughs> That oh is god, this is so probably funny. too much information for the podcast, but... <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm so happy you mentioned that. <laughs> um, but taking it back to food guilt, I think it's just like an interesting concept to talk about because I think we have spoken about it in so many other episodes that I almost feel um, it just always comes back to this like anti-diet culture. I feel like yeah. we always set out with a topic and then we always come back into the same kind of like conclusion. Sorry, there's a siren. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Um, but I think the conclusion is always just like diet culture sucks. I do think it's helpful to say, to actually just like really push yourself and push your thoughts and be like, why is that making me feel guilty? Like, what do I think is going to happen? Like really push yourself to that point Mm. where you then have an answer and you're like, and you either then think, okay, that's like not real. That's like that devil voice telling me and like blowing that up in my head or be like, okay, it, it feels like a big deal still but like now at least I know the root of it so how can I address it and not let it get to that point where all of a sudden it's like oh, I'm eating a burger and I feel guilty yeah or like how would you respond if a friend said it to you yeah so if you're in your mind you feel oh I'm eating the burger I feel guilty if your friend came to you and said I'm ordering a burger should I feel guilty then obviously your your answer would be no you can if you want a burger eat a burger yeah. there's nothing wrong with the burger burgers are great should we have, like, a conversation and pretend that, like, one's the angel, one's the devil? We're role-playing. Yeah. Okay, okay I'll, I'll be the one that's, like, coming to you. Okay, so I've had, like, a burger and the bun and fries, and I feel really guilty for eating it. Okay, so oh, am I playing the friend? Or Because yeah. I was like, okay, well, now I'm, like, the dietician, so I'm like, why do you, like, what about that meal? It was just, like, so carb-heavy. I just, I shouldn't have eaten all of it. And why do you feel, what about the car- No, because I feel like I'm trying to, like... Your friend, your half friend, half dietitian. Yeah, I'm trying to get in the role of like friend more than dietitian. Um, so just, well, did you enjoy it? Well, I kind of did, but I feel really guilty, so I didn't fully enjoy it. Well, does that mean that I shouldn't have a burger tonight because I was going to have one? But if you feel guilty, then I shouldn't do it. No, you can have one. That will make me feel better. If you have one. <laughs> <laughs> but why? If, if you felt guilty, then I'm going to feel guilty. Or should I feel guilty? Like, is it too many carbs for me? No, not at all. But why is it too many carbs for you? That's a good point. <laughs> Did we nail it? <laughs> I hope so. But, like, I always, I actually have this conversation with my clients when... You know when you go to, like, a restaurant with your friend and, like, they order a salad but you wanted a pizza? Yeah. And it's like, what? That's not going to make you digest your food differently because someone else is having a salad. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you instantly think, well, maybe I should have a salad. Yeah. But then you but get like... so silly. Yeah. So what, would you feel better about eating it if they had a pizza as well? That makes no sense. But I think a lot of people have that mentality. Yeah, that's what I mean. Where they'll mimic yeah. the other behaviours because they think it's more socially acceptable. And do you ever get it when you're at a restaurant with a group of people and they're like, oh, would you like to see the dessert menu? And you kind of wait to see what the general consensus is. Yes. Yes, I do get that a lot. Because I always think it's like you're a starter person or you're a dessert person. Or sometimes if you're like Mark, you're both. Yeah. Um but sometimes, like, I prefer a starter with a dinner because I like 
Sissy. Savory things. Hi, kitty. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, at the end of it, it was like, oh, really good. I I want a dessert menu. But, like, you should have that confidence to do what you want and not let that decision be affected by everyone else at the table. But I also feel like as much as that's, like, a food related thing i also feel like it's like a social norm like it, it comes is, out of respect because like, i it? do that as well like if i'm out with my family and they're like do you want to see the dessert menu i'm like do we like yeah I like probably, what are you guys all it's such a split second decision because i haven't even had time to be like do i feel like i want dessert yeah and if like i might not feel like dessert at all but if everyone else is like oh yeah let's see the menu i'm like oh okay i'll see yeah, the menu. <laughs> definitely i think that's like an interesting one because i think there's like a level of like social um i don't know like etiquette that comes with it because i just think that's like some people just being really polite yeah do you know what i mean like but this oh, I didn't is really a, want again it, like but... ties in with the whole like intuitive eating non-diet thing because yeah. it's like there's room for that flexibility yeah exactly yeah because we were out to dinner the other night uh, it was actually a few weeks ago and mark really wanted dessert and i was so full i was mm. like there's no way that i can fit dessert in my stomach right now i hate like, it when that happens sometimes i'm like <laughs> i wish i could fit more in yeah i was like there's literally he's like oh but you'll just have like one or two spoons and i was like i'll try it I, yeah but like i i can't commit to it because i'm actually so full sorry so many sirens um and then we got it and i had it and he was like oh just try it and I actually didn't really enjoy it because I think I was past the point of fullness yeah. where it's like it actually wasn't enjoyable for me. Like mm-hmm. it was, it just didn't taste nice. But like I obviously said like, yeah, I'll have a bit. And I think that's like the point of like being flexible. Like, yes, yeah. I was full. And it's like, oh, listen to your fullness. But like it's having that flexibility of being like, I can defy that without feeling guilty. Okay. I'm like, there's nothing inherently wrong with doing that. And I think at the end of the day, all of this comes back to like food doesn't have morality placed upon it. Yeah, and I would recommend anyone experimenting with that as well, like like Barry did. Like, see if you do want a bit of dessert. Like, yeah. that's okay. If it ends up, like, not being the result you wanted or hoped for, that's okay. Like, yeah, just, okay, you know, move on. You've tried that. Do it differently tomorrow kind of thing. Like, you're yeah. allowed to... That's the whole part of being on, like, you know, seeking a better relationship with food is trying these things out and not being scared to say okay look body we're gonna try look body body, we're gonna try this out and you know we're just gonna go on this journey like mind body journey and we're gonna get to a better place but we're gonna have to try some new things to get there yeah you always have to put yourself in uncomfortable positions Mm -hmm. to evolve yeah because if you always say at the status quo nothing changes and you're always staying in your little comfort bubble and And that applies to anything in life yeah you always have to try and push the limits a bit because if you don't then you just stay stagnant Mm -hmm. and if your stagnant place is a place where you know you're mentally not happy then that's not a nice place to be for the rest of your life so you're gonna have to push the boundaries so you can evolve and i think it sounds really scary but it's so important especially in the context of food yeah 100% but like imagine like you never tried certain foods like your favorite food in the world like chocolate or like gnocchi like if you never tried it then you wouldn't know you liked it so sometimes you have to put yourself in that position to be like okay I'm gonna try eating this even though I ate that and be like that was great if you don't do it you don't know yeah and I actually I have clients or have worked with clients in the past where they've had like a holiday booked and that's really scary for them because they're Mm. like in their head they're like a whole new world of food that I don't know yet exists or 
you know, how it's going to be served or, you know, it's completely outside their comfort zone in terms of food. That again, comes down to the lack of control though. Yeah. Because they can't control that environment. Yeah. And it's that kind of anxious feeling. And I always say like that sense of urgency around food because it does feel so urgent in your head, doesn't it? It's like, we need to sort this out. Like, yeah. And I also think people so often just dwell on the negatives, like, oh, well, I can do this and it could be really bad and then this can happen and I'll feel terrible. It's like, what about the positives? Like, you're going out to a new place, you're going to explore, you're going to get to try all these new things that you Mm -hmm. haven't been exposed to. Like, when else in your life are you going to have that same opportunity? Um, Like, go and enjoy it. Um, And I think it's just we we naturally perceive the world in such a negative light. Um, I think we just also have to open our minds and be a bit more positive-minded. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a lot of this will go on beyond, like, it may be more psychological than, you know, maybe working with a dietitian or a Mm. nutritionist. So, yeah, there's only so much we can say right here now talking about this. Um, But it might be that, you know, you need to do some deeper kind of work on yourself with a qualified psychologist or psychiatrist or therapist. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so... He stinks so bad. You know what? I made him some homemade food. And I put... Can you not make that next time <laughs> I come over? I, th- I put some, like, vegetables in it. Oh, that fibre. Oh, that fibre. Sorry. Hi, husband. Oh, my God, husband, if you guys can see. There he is. <laughs> He's just... right next to me. <laughs> it doesn't really waft over here. I don't mind it too much. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, but going back to food guilt, because I think we're almost at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the best way to kind of combat that? Um, like I said before, really pushing yourself to that, the part of kind of the root of why you feel like that. Like really kind of sit there and say to yourself, why, do I, why is this making me feel so guilty? And find out, get to the root and the reason of why it's making you feel guilty and then work on that. Yeah. And I would definitely say I think that guilt just comes out of defying rules. Um, so I think also get in touch with the rules and restrictions that you may even be subconscious of. Like it may be, you might not think it's a rule, but it's a rule. So when mm. I went out for dinner the other night, I was like, oh no, I'm not going to drink. That was a rule. Yeah. And then I had a drink and I'm like, oh, that's annoying. But broke like, my rule. broke my rule. <laughs> um, maybe that's like a different example. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, I think think what you're trying to say is it can be so ingrained that... Yeah, and it can be so subtle as well. Um, And I just think once you get all rules off the table, then the food guilt can't exist because there are no rules. Yeah. Um, And I just... I think it's ridiculous. We just Googled the definition of um, guilt at the beginning and it came back to create uh, committing a crime. And I would never say eating is a crime or an offense. Um, so just remember the words that we use. Oh, I feel guilty. Do you actually feel guilty? Like, do you actually feel like you've done something so horribly wrong that you're going to go to jail for? Like, mm-hmm. to what level is that? Yeah. Rule? Like, the severity kind of, of puts it. it into perspective. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and maybe choose a different word for it if that's what you're feeling. Yeah. Um, and that might help you if you choose a different adjective for it. It might help you get down to why. It, happened in the first place so mm-hmm. like why it exists in the rules that you created um but yeah I just think again it comes back to 
the inherent flaws of diet culture and food rules, and if everyone got rid of those, then there would be no room for guilt. Very true. And I would recommend you go back and listen to our intuitive eating episode, and then we've done the intuitive eating part two, because we do talk a lot more about this and in more depth and get to more of like the nitty gritty stuff. So yeah and let us know if you guys like this kind of like live yeah recording um and to everyone who's listening as a podcast um if you go check out forking wellness on instagram you can watch it back yeah. um and yeah while you're there give us a follow yeah and please do rate review and subscribe if you love this episode or love the podcast share with your friends it really does help us get yeah. seen um and we appreciate all your support yeah we'll see you guys next week Bye. Bye.